I'm Rose Skeeters, host of From Borderline to Beautiful, a show about hope and recovery for BPD. Hello and welcome to another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Today, I wanted to talk a little bit about emotion regulation. My 12-week support group is up and running and I'm just having such a great time with it. And today, our goal was to talk about and discuss regulating emotions. And I realized something in that group about how the way that we are raised can really shape the way that we experience emotions. And I recalled a time where I was little and I would get in trouble. And, you know, whenever I was in trouble, I remember really feeling distress. And so I would yell or scream. And usually the yelling or screaming that I was engaging in was kind of incessant. So I wouldn't end up getting the consequence. I would simply just get access to what I had originally wanted to begin with. So an example of this is I remember several times where I would, you know, as a young child, maybe nine, ten, as I would do something, I would get in trouble. Maybe I would talk back. I'm not exactly sure what I was doing, but I would get sent to my room and it would be dinner time and I would be sent to my room maybe without dinner, let's say. And I would just, I remember just screaming and begging and pleading like much like what I would have experienced my BPD tantrums to be when I was older just begging and screaming and crying please don't leave me in the situation when I was a child I was begging please don't do this to me don't make me sit in my room and I remember that eventually so what would happen is is I would beg and scream and plead and then eventually I would get my dinner And that's how it would work every time. I remember eventually I started catching on to this. I'm not entirely sure how old I was. Probably right in around that 9 to 12 age where something clicked and I realized, well, here we go again. I have to sit here and yell and cry and scream. And eventually my mother will break down and she'll bring me my food. And that's the way that emotions go is that they're really intense, really painful And if I yell and I scream and I beg, then something happens. And the something that happened for me, in my example, is that I would get access to the thing that I wanted. Now that was the way that I experienced emotions and emotion regulation growing up. And so into adulthood, that pattern continued and it ebbed and flowed in accordance to what I was going through in my developmental time. So let's say I was a teenager and I wanted, you know, I think I talked about this on an earlier episode, like I wanted my boyfriend to call me back or to not break up with me. So my way of getting what I wanted and to getting out of that intense emotion was to scream and cry and beg and beg and call over and over again and text over and over again and then eventually because I was incessant you know he would pick up the phone and we would get into an argument or something like that so you know it was this pattern of behavior that was reinforced for years um, until I decided to stop that pattern of behavior Maybe for other people, it looked differently. Maybe you're, you were withdrawn or you lashed out or you shut down 
or you disconnected or you went into sort of this daydreaming mode when you had an intense emotions. So when we look at learning how to regulate our emotions, we first want to ask ourselves, why do we do this? Where did this come from? That's important because we want to look at the root of it all. And I truly believe that if I had been sent to my room for that timeout, which was such a great idea on the part of my parents, this positive intended result was that I would go to my room because I was engaging in inappropriate behavior and then I would calm down and then re-enter back into the daily routine. But that didn't quite happen because in the timeout, I didn't learn how to calm down. I learned that escalation is the thing that gives me access to what I originally want, which is, you know, whatever my aim is. And so as a child, if I had been put into timeout and then not given emotion for it and just been allowed to sit there and wait for my emotions to calm down because emotions come and go. If we were to do nothing as children and just sort of allow the emotion to to go, whether we get were initially angry or sad or upset in our timeout, the emotion would eventually go. And then if I had been reintroduced back into whatever activity I had been doing without shame, without guilt, without more anger or emotion on the part of my parents, then I would have learned over and over and over again that every time I was experiencing an intense emotion, it would go away and I could handle it and I could continue on doing what I'm doing. I also would have learned that when I experienced an intense emotion, love didn't just stop. That was also something that I had learned that when I was really intense, that love was taken away from me. That my parents were so angry or upset with me that I felt like they didn't love me anymore. And obviously, you know, that wasn't true. Well, not obviously, but I find that that's not true in my um, adult state. However, it felt that way, that love was taken away and that when I was in an intense emotional state, the only way to get love back was to beg for it back. And that eventually the begging would allow that person to come back and enter into relationship with me. So it's important that we we really identify that and we understand that, that if you allow an emotion to go, it will go. That is really how biologically emotions work. They come and go, and over time, an intense emotion will sort of you know, dissipate if we allow the, the emotional wave to ride out. If we pay attention to it, and they talk about this in DBT, right? Non-judgmentally, sort of paying attention to it, to it, checking the facts, doing opposite action, and sort of engaging in this ability or this, this behavior of allowing the emotion to, to calm down. So the first thing I want you to do if you're searching for a way to regulate your emotions is to figure out what was what were emotions like for you when you were young 
and then to try to see if that pattern has continued throughout your lifespan and whether or not it's still working for you. I have to say that when I met Jay and I wanted a real relationship, that behavioral pattern of yelling and begging and tantruming until I got what I wanted or until the discomfort faded stopped working for me. The emotional pattern of controlling my food to get attention or whatever to to experience that control for having disordered eating no longer worked for me. Those things didn't serve me. I think the the disordered eating really stopped serving me during pregnancy. So those things, they stopped working for me. And so when a strategy in your life becomes ineffective, do you want to identify that? Because that will give you your how in part. The how to regulate your emotions starts with awareness and willingness to, to make a choice, to make a change. So if you see, okay, this pattern is not working for me anymore, then you can choose a new way. It's very important that you look at emotion regulation first and foremost as a choice. And the choice doesn't occur when you're dysregulated. The choice to regain control of your emotions occurs on an everyday basis prior to this emotionally dysregulated space. Because once you feel out of control, it's likely that your emotion is so hyperbolic, so big, so intense that you are out of control and calming down is difficult when you've already reached that point. So if you want to choose whether or not your current strategy is effective and if you find it to be ineffective, you want to choose to take a break when you feel the emotional itch or that emotionally intense bubble rising inside of you so that you can prevent the dysregulation from occurring before it occurs. This takes a lot of work, folks, and a lot of patience. And if you think about yourself as a child, like that example I gave earlier, right, of me screaming and yelling until finally someone would come in, rescue me, and give me my dinner that they said that I wouldn't get to begin with for my consequence. So imagine that. And, you know, think of yourself in that way so that you can then figure out, okay, well, then I need a time out when I'm experiencing this really intense emotion. So even if you're not able to catch your dysregulation before it occurs, when you're dysregulated, I'd encourage you to take a time out until you're able to re-enter into the situation. When I did the anger management episode, we talked about the importance of timeouts for anger management. And this is really the same So perhaps you are in relationship with someone right now and you get so dysregulated and you feel like you can't control yourself when you're there and you can't take your time out. What else can you do to, you know, kind of come into this partnership to know it's time to take a time out? Can you have a safe word? 
Maybe you and your partner can come up with a word that he or she says that triggers you to know that you take your time out. And then again, it really boils down to choice. If every day you're working on your recovery, when you get in that space and the person that you're in relationship with asks you to please take a time out, you need to assess whether or not that they are threatening you or trying to hurt you or trying to attack your character or whether or not they are trying to help you. And so if you're able to do that as a preventative measure, having these conversations and working on some emotion regulation skills before things get out of control, that will really go a long way when you're actually in the moment of dysregulation. So that's really the first part of emotion regulation is recognizing where it came from, your current choices, whether it's effective or ineffective, and making a choice to make a change. Next, we're going to talk about some ways that you can choose emotion regulation from a DBT framework. All right, now that you've made the choice to make the change and you've taken your time out, you're ready to identify that bubbling emotion and to really create a new effective emotional strategy or emotional regulation strategy. DBT has an awesome framework for this. It's like I've said earlier, DBT is great for coping skills. It is a great treatment for that. So I like what they're saying here about changing your emotional responses, you know, and helping support you in your journey. So the first thing that you want to do is check the facts. You want to check out whether your emotional reaction fits the fact of a situation. If you change your belief and your assumptions to fit the facts, this can help you change your emotional reaction to situations. The second thing you want to do is engage in opposite action. So if your emotion doesn't fit the facts, if your emotion's way too over the top for the situation, or if acting on your emotions is not effective, if you act all of the way to the opposite end of the spectrum, it will change your emotional reaction. So for example, if I'm really angry and my emotion doesn't fit the facts, what I can do is engage in the opposite of that emotion. And if I'm looking at sort of the opposite of anger, my, well, my inclination for anger would be to attack, right? That would be the urge. But gently avoiding and being a little bit nice could be my opposite action for anger. The third thing that you can do is engage in problem solving. So let's say you've checked your facts and you determine that the facts, your emotional reaction fits the facts of the situation, you can now engage in problem solving. So that will help with the negative emotion. And that's a tough one because the BPD brain really tends to see problems and not solutions. Problem solving would mean that you would have to learn how to find solutions to some of your problems. Okay, so that's really great on paper let's talk about how that plays out okay checking the facts opposite action and problem solving i'm going to give you two examples and the first example i was i'm going to give you is one where i wasn't able to do this and the second one is how i've learned so i am recalling this incident where 
it was Jay and I's anniversary. And I had had, I mean, this was years ago. So it was our anniversary and I had had this idea in my mind of what I wanted our anniversary to be like. It was in the spring and it was a beautiful weekend and we were going to go into the city in Philly and we were going to walk around and just spend time together and it was going to be he and I and maybe I had this unrealistic expectation that we would just like stare into each other's eyes and tell each other how much we loved each other and he would devote all of his attention to me. It's kind of silly but I'm sure that is exactly what I wanted at the time. So I coke come to his house and I come to find out that he had invited one of his friends and his friend's girlfriends to go and walk with us in this like outdoor fair sort of street market that they were having that day and boy oh boy did I get upset so the very first thing that happens is the emotion starts bubbling within me as he's telling me this and then I immediately start thinking about how he doesn't love me as much as I love him and how our anniversary isn't important to him and how could he want to spend this time that we should spend with each other with these other people and I really just couldn't wrap my mind around it so I sat on the bed in the room and I was just pissed disconnected and just really upset I had convinced myself that he definitely didn't love me and he was gonna leave me because he wasn't celebrating our anniversary in the way that I expected it to be celebrated so when I was in that spot I wasn't able to check the facts I was just dysregulated now he came into the room and he was like like are you really gonna act this way This is our anniversary, so I'm trying to celebrate this with you. And we were going to come back and be alone together afterwards, just so everyone knows. It's not like we were just going to be spending with other people. His idea was to go reconnect and be social and, you know, reconnect with a friend and be social. So he had said that. He was like, we're, you know, explained it out to me. He's like, we're just going to go down. We're going to go to this market. We'll have a good time with them. And then we'll come back and we'll be together. And we're together every day. So every day, really, an anniversary should be celebrated. And he expressed his disappointment that, that it had to be this way. And he was very patient. But, you know, he left the room. He went downstairs. And I was upstairs. And I remember sitting there, and I I just couldn't let go. I was so dysregulated. But there was this little space inside of me where I thought, gosh, I really need to get myself together. And for whatever reason, it's, you know, one of the first times I was able, I just stood up, and I was like, okay, what I want to do is sit here, and I want to dwell on this, but... What I'm going to do, because this was after our breakup, right? Everybody's like, if you know the podcast, you know that we had broken up and Jay left and he was gone for like a year. So this was after that. So I was really motivated now, even though I was still acting inappropriate for my age, I I still was aware like you can't do this anymore. So I stood up and I went to the bathroom and I took a deep breath and I begrudgingly went I did the opposite of what I wanted to do and I had a great time it was still tough because I was kind of moody in the car it's sort of a drive into the city and I'm sure it was difficult for him because he's now having to take care of my emotions versus you know just enjoying the day 
Um, but that really helped. When I checked the facts, I realized that I was the one who was ruining the anniversary, not him, just for wanting to include other people in our day and just change change things up a little bit and go to the street market. So there's an example of how opposite action can work when you're willing to engage in that as a skill. So as time passed, I got better and better at this skill. I mean, I would say that that was probably only partially successful because I did spend probably wasted an hour, if not two, in this moment where I had convinced myself that he had ruined our anniversary and that he didn't love me and was going to leave me. It's hard not to laugh about that a little bit now because it was just so untrue and just so uncharacteristic of who Jay is as a person and was at the time. So that's a really great example of checking the facts and opposite action. So I'm thinking now, like, you guys can use this if if this upcoming holiday, Valentine's Day, is stressful on your relationship. So in the United States, we have Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day is a holiday, I believe, that was created by the greeting card companies. Um, and, you know, perhaps that's not correct, but that's one of the things people say that it was created by the greeting card companies and it's not a real holiday, right? Like it's not a day that, you know, would, you know, mean anything any than any other day, unless you like to celebrate those little holidays and sort of, you know, get gifts for people. So if your partner is someone who doesn't celebrate Valentine's Day or doesn't believe that there should be one day a year where they are celebrating it and you do believe that Valentine's Day should be celebrated, perhaps you can check the facts and see whether or not if that person doesn't show up for you to get you a Valentine's Day gift, you can think to yourself, hmm, does them not offering me of getting me a Valentine's Day gift or not scheduling some sort of romantic event or dinner with me, does that indicate that they don't love me or they don't love me as much as I love them? Or does that mean that perhaps they just don't value the holiday the way that I value the holiday? And if you've checked the facts and your emotional reaction of feeling rejected and abandoned doesn't fit the facts of the situation because you know your partner's not really into the holiday, maybe you can engage in opposite action like scheduling a romantic dinner for you both because you do like the holiday or solving the problem by going to your partner and speaking to them and expressing how you feel about Valentine's Day and asking for their perspective, accepting their perspective, and maybe coming up with your own tradition within your relationship. I bring that up because I know a lot of people out there right now have reached out to me struggling about this idea that their partner doesn't want to celebrate Valentine's Day and it's making them feel dysregulated that they often have an episode during this holiday or this time of year because they really want their partner to show them that they love them or say that they love them in some way or send them roses or just something, some sort of big romantic gesture and that doesn't happen. So there's another example of how you can use this skill. Check the facts Engage in opposite action if you need to. 
Remember who your partner is and engage in some problem-solving skills. Awesome. So I hope that was helpful, everybody. And remember that when you are engaging in emotion regulation skills, this is something that you want to be doing all of the time. Ask yourself, is my emotion over the top? Does it even make sense for me to be angry right now? Get yourself an emotions chart that lists out all of the emotions that you could possibly experience. I was joking about this this morning in my group too, and I said like the BPD brain, it experiences like what? Anger, shame, and anxiety. (laughs) There are more emotions than anger, shame, anxiety, and guilt. And so if you need a chart to help you regain control of your emotional skills and sort of relearn how to identify and how to feel emotions in appropriate ways, so what? That's perfect. It's a great opportunity for you to start building on your identity as someone who is strong and capable and ready, willing, able to change the way they engage in emotions, the way they respond to emotions, and the way that they behave because of the emotions that they experience. If you have any questions, comments, and concerns, please reach out to me. As always, schedule your free initial consult or your initial session. You can also schedule with Jay, who does coaching and work with individuals with BPD as well as with their partners. Have a great week and stay tuned for the Q&A. Are you currently struggling to stay afloat? Are you looking for more one-on-one support and guidance on your recovery journey? Check out thriveonlinecounseling.com. We offer mindset coaching that will propel your recovery journey forward. We help frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Have phone, video, or text sessions wherever you are. The best part? You can schedule right from our website. Choose the day and time that works best for you. Life can be better. We can help. Make an investment in yourself. You are worth it. Hey everybody, it's time now for the Q&A. So today I did have somebody submit a question to me. It wasn't really a question though. The message was entitled F.U. And the individual, her name was Audrey. She was very upset by some of the truths that I offered in the love and relationships episode of the podcast. And I just got to thinking after her message um, about that how question. And I'm still continuously asking that because I want to offer this answer to all of you out there. And first of all, before I jump in, I just want to say to Audrey that I hope that you are able to find what you're looking for on your recovery journey and that I appreciate your perspective no matter how harsh. I accept it and I'm sending you positive energy and hope on your recovery journey, Audrey. And then I also just want to switch gears and go back to that how question. You know, in the society that we live in, we all want things that are better, that are faster, that are easier and comfortable. We want this better life, right? And we want 
it to, we want to get there. We want the road to get there to be fast, easy, and comf- comfy. But here's the thing. You want fast, easy, and comfortable, and then you also want to know how I'm saying that people can recover and how so many people are not offering that message of hope. That's because the path to recovery is narrow and difficult. Sean and I talked several episodes ago about how there are only a handful of people who truly want to recover, that they want, they're ready, willing, and able, let's say, to do the hard work to hear the hard truths of recovery. I'm telling you guys, it's not fast. It's not easy. It's not comfortable. It's narrow. It's difficult. And it's filled with pressure. But those who walk the path experience recovery and unfortunately those who don't stay lost and in pain. The most freeing truth is that you have the power to choose which path you take. But the path to recovery takes work, hard work. We all want it to be easier, but it's just not. And then I think of clients Audrey, she reminded me of clients and people who I've worked with in the past or I've talked with in the past that have gotten just as angry with me for whatever reason. Maybe I set a boundary or I spoke a truth they didn't want to hear. The work, the hard work and dedication that these folks put into trying to hurt me is astounding. I'd say impressive, actually. Now, this isn't a judgment. I am just saying that it took hard work for them to try and destroy my character. And here's the thing, folks. You all have that ability to engage in that hard work in you. That ability to focus all of your energy into one emotion and one person or one social justice issue and to just engage in the rage and attack and not stop until you get what you want. Attacking my character is not easy, fast, doesn't make your life better or comfortable. However, it feels good, right? It feels good to attack someone to indulge in that intense emotion. Imagine if you shifted that dedication and that energy and that intensity from attacking someone outside of you to attacking recovery and really going hard into it and facing that fear that pain and being courageous right so guys if you're out there and you're listening and i say something you don't agree with that's okay because i make mistakes but i have good intentions i am genuine and i know exactly who i am so the people that are working hard to destroy my character They really have to work hard to do it, and unfortunately, they're focusing their energy in the wrong direction. And maybe you've done that, obviously not to me, but maybe you've done that to someone you love or someone you're in relationship with. And maybe you spend all of this energy sort of engaging in the rage. So then my question to you is, why can't you focus that energy and work into recovery? Is it because it's not fast enough? Because it's not comfortable? Do you really believe that everything in life should be comfy and that every truth should be told in such a way that protects you from the truth? (laughs) If everything in life was fast, 
easy and comfy in actual reality, you wouldn't be listening to this podcast right now. I wish there was Audrey and anyone else out there who's having a hard time, a magic pill, but there's no magic pill and there's no magic formula. There's hard work, patience, dedication. That's the secret. Everyone else out there wondering, how did she do it? How did all these other people do it? What's the secret? Well, I'm trained in the secret of overcoming things. That's right. I can overcome difficulty. Sam talked about this last week. Devin talks about this. Sabrina talks about this. Alicia talks about this. Sean talks about this just on this show. I get upset and I can tolerate it. And I train myself to do this. So if you're out there and you're still wondering what your how is and you're still engaging in your rage, I promise you that if you channel that energy into your recovery, it won't be fast, it won't be easy, and it won't be comfortable, but it will be worth it. Okay, thanks for listening. That was from Borderline and Beautiful, a production of Thrive Mind Body LLC, online coaching that helps frustrated individuals, resentful couples, and disconnected families navigate through tough times. Visit us on the web at thriveonlinecounseling.com. If you like this show, remember, you can hear it on Anchor or Apple Podcasts or Pocket Casts or any app that you use to listen to podcasts. Subscribe to get a new episode every Monday. If you want to get in touch, you can leave me a voice message. Some of you had some comments and questions from the last episodes, and I'd love to hear whatever questions you have, too. Just download the Anchor mobile app, search for From Borderline to Beautiful, and tap the message button to send me a voice message. We'll have all those links in the show description. Okay, we made it. Thanks again for listening. I'm Rose Skeeters, and I'll be back next week with another episode of From Borderline to Beautiful. Talk to you then.